Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life-ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. Welcome, everyone, to our podcast for the sake of the child. My name is Susan Sellers. I'm the spouse of an active duty service member, parent of three military kids, master parent-to-parent educator, and now a podcast host of the Military Child Education Coalition. Today we're going to talk to Andy Adinison and how to prepare your college-bound kids on financial literacy. Andy Adinison is the Executive Vice President for Communications and Operations for the Association of Military Banks of America, a not-for-profit association of banks operating on military installations, banks not located on military installations but serving military customers and military banking facilities designated by the U.S. Treasury. Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Can you share a little bit of your work with AMBA? Sure. So it's kind of a mouthful, the Association of Military Banks of America, and I've been with AMBA since 2013. In my role at AMBA, I do many things um, with our member banks. As you suggested, they're both located on installation and off the installation serving the military community. We work closely with the Department of Defense and the services to make sure that our military communities at large are getting exceptional you know, financial services, products, and financial education. So we also collaborate with several organizations in the space, and we really work with, um, you know, like I said, the whole military uh, family throughout their entire life cycle. So um, we really do believe that starting with children at a young age is really the way to go. And, of course, um, you know, saving with youth is always a, a great priority. So um, this is, yeah, so this is really important to us, and college age is a great transition to, ch- to chat about, so glad to be here. Well, I'm definitely interested in delving in, you know, having that I have a rising senior myself, I definitely want to get him prepared for college, uh, but I would love to share with our listeners, I've been looking through your resume a little bit, and I know that you, you, know, you work for AMBA, but I also noticed you had 12 years of volunteer service, supporting military families. So it seems like this job is a little bit more than a job for you, almost like it's a passion. Can you share a little bit about your background and how you're military connected? Sure. Yeah, it's, you know, using that word passion, I've I've used it many times to describe what I do, and and I really do have a passion for the community. So I, too, am a a military spouse of an active-duty Air Force officer. We have two daughters, one of which is planning to go into the military herself. So, um, but really how I got involved in in this military space was when my husband first started his career, we moved five times in five years. And two of them were overseas. And by the fifth time, we'd had two babies, and we were at, again, a new location in the States. And the new unit that he was at was a unit very different in the Air Force because they all they did was train and deploy. So 
instead of he's in security forces as his MLS. And so he usually has a law enforcement security aspect at the installations. But in this case, the unit was just as a whole was going to be training and then deploying. And so there, all of us were sort of sitting in the same situation. And I realized with two small kids at home, knowing not a soul when we got there, I really needed to embed myself in the community and start to meet some people. And then I realized that also with that support, I enjoyed giving back. And so we got, I got very close with staff members and volunteers at the Airmen and Family Readiness Center to learn about different programs. And that was when I first learned about the um, military spouse financial counselor certification. And that was how I attained my AFC, which stands for accredited financial counselor. And that was sort of where my career kicked off. But it was great because I already had this passion for working with and being supported by and supporting the community. And so when I um, applied for the fellowship, and I ended up completing it again with through a PCS. It was kind of a crazy time, but um, just really have enjoyed the space that I'm working in, and I and I really love it. Well, I have to say, I think your story resonates with a, a lot of our listeners, with myself, and and that the importance of you know getting connected with your military community turns out to be so beneficial, not just for the community, but, you know, also for yourself and how you've translated this interest and this passion into into something that you can carry on for your career. So switching gears, as I mentioned, you know, we have a high school senior and we're starting down that path of preparing him for college. You know, we've worked on the academics and the social aspects of the future, but recently started thinking about financial preparation. How important do you think it is for college-bound kids to have a handle on finances and money? I think it's really important, and I think you hit on the key where you start to have these conversations, right? You, you can have meaningful conversations around money. Sometimes it's, it's challenging, and this is even with folks I'm talking to about transitioning, too. So any kind of transition in your life, a lot of times it's hard to prepare for that financial situation because you're not yet living it. But if you talk about things that are that are bound to happen or – just the very simple things from, you know, how to spend money, which sounds a little strange. Kids tend to know how to spend it, but also spending it smartly and saving a portion, paying your bills. Oddly enough, like that's one of the just basics that we need to break down and talk to kids about and make sure they're understanding. And then the, a big one for me, which I like to chat with people often about is building credit and working and making sure that you're getting those fundamentals from the beginning. And there's several ways to do that, but I think that it's just really important to start having those conversations. Interesting. So kind of on the lines of building credit, which you mentioned, what do you think every college student needs to know about credit? Really with credit, it's that when you have no credit or bad credit, it's basically the same thing to a lender. So when you're 18 years old, it's when your credit file begins. There's no history prior to 18. And so you need to start, well, you shouldn't have any credit unless you had an identity or, you know, theft or fraud on your um, social security number. So it's actually important to check once you are 18 that you are checking your credit report. And I think it's important to understand that 
that there are there can be serious implications to doing poor or making poor um, credit decisions from the get-go, right? Missing one payment can actually have a detrimental effect on your credit, just one payment 30 days late. So I think that that's those really those fundamentals in realizing like, okay, now you're 18, everything you do in the financial world, kind of like the legality of being 18, right? Everything you do in the financial world now counts. <laughs> so I think that that Absolutely. is really important to understand. <laughs> Definitely. I completely agree with you. And, and like you mentioned, having those conversations with our teenagers about spending, saving, paying bills, building that credit, that that good credit, not necessarily bad credit, you know, because ultimately, like most parents, you know, we want our sons to be successful in college. And, and frankly, I don't want them living in my basement afterwards. So as parents, what can we do specifically maybe to help them gain these crucial money management skills? Well, and that, that's a great word. So money management. So that's really money going in or money coming in, money going out, right? So those transactions are really important. So the more you can get your kids, especially, you know, 15, 16, 17, to really begin to start handling their own money, um, whether you get it, you know, them a checking account, a youth checking account um, or debit account, and they're keeping track. It was funny. My daughter, when she was 14, was when we first got – her debit account she was going on a trip and she did the classic thing that I've seen so many people do where she said oh I just checked my balance and I and I have money and I said well you know you you need to check to make sure all your receipts have cleared because sometimes they can take a couple of days in the debit world depending on the financial institution and and the merchant etc and she was like wait what and so I had to Explain that to her and just understanding that, like, we kind of innately understand as adults that, you know, it may take a couple of days to something to post, but she was just checking that balance. So that, again, that was one of those things that just she really needed to pay attention to that. So we talked about how she would track her spending and keep track of all of those receipts, whether she did it digitally, because, you know, nobody wants to write everything down in the ledger anymore, except maybe for me. But um, so we talked about the different ways she could do that. So and then, again, building that credit and understanding those um, vital importance of, of making sure that, that all those decisions that she's making um, were going to have an effect um, soon when she turns 18. So um, but the, the, a couple of things with, with credit, especially that I don't know if young people really understand, is that that actually can have a potential on where you're going to live. So if you're trying to rent an apartment or you're trying to rent a house, um, that you, you know, they will and can pull your credit score. And if you don't want to be, if you don't want your parents to co-sign, then that's something really important um, to understand that, that your credit will come into play for where you live. So they're not, you know, living in your basement. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I think that's really great advice because there's so many things that we learned, you know, a hundred years ago when we were in college that, you know, we just innately know and that our kids also too need to now master this. I mean, I remember the old adage of the checkbook, just because you have checks in your checkbook doesn't mean you still have money in your account. So I think that was a really piece of smart advice that you gave about how they need to not only just check the balance of their account, but also check to see, you know, compare it against their receipts, compare it against their shopping history. So 
you know, as I mentioned, probably 100 years ago when I was in college, there were financial <laughs> scams, you know, targeting college students. Can you share some of the current fraud gimmicks maybe that you're privy to and, and how we can prepare our kids not to fall victim? Yeah, it's interesting. One of the most important things I say to folks is when it comes to scams, even my from my mother-in-law to my daughters, is really, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So do your research. Don't fall victim to something just because it sounds great, especially if it's a, you know, get money quick, anything. One of the big items that we see that's always bubbling to the top when we collaborate with the Better Business Bureau Institute for Marketplace Trust, they're actually working on some military community-specific data right now that AMBA is actually helping with. And one of the things that keeps coming up to the top is actually these work-from-home scams. And this is really – and it's a big thing on the military spouse side that we see, but I can also see this very easily transferring to the, um, you know, young person, college uh, kid space. You know, you need to earn money when you're in college, and what seems like a better fit than working from home, flexible hours, et cetera. So you really just want to make sure you're doing your homework. You can check the BBB um, scam tracker and actually look for if you get some email that sounds good or you think it's legit. I mean, they're they're getting very good at sending out information that sounds perfectly legitimate. So um, it, it is different. It's been 100 years since I went to college, too. So <laughs> things are very different, and you just have to try to navigate that space really well and know what your tools are to make sure you're doing that due diligence and research. So Scam Tracker from BBB is a really great one. I think that's great advice, and I, I think that's really important not only, you know, for our listeners' kids, but also for our listeners ourselves because, like you said, they're targeting military communities, you know, because of how much we transition and the, the sage advice that it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And certainly I think there is some evidence of it now showing with college kids, with internships or potential job placement. So really to do your your homework. So do you have any final suggestions or stories that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, you know, one of the big things with students, since we're, you know, really talking specifically about get kids getting ready to go off to college, um, and one of the things I've seen as a counselor was really the um, student loan debt obligation. And what I mean by that is to make sure when you're obligating yourself and you're signing on that dotted line, and it seems great that you're getting all this money because you're going to go ahead and use it to get your education to really thinking about, and even as parents, so really thinking about very specifically where your kids are going to school, what degree they're going to get, what their debt's going to be owed on the back end. And, and again, there's, there's tools out there that you can look at your university and colleges and see what is the, you know, median income coming out of this school or this particular degree path. And you can really start to pay attention to, okay, if I'm going to have this huge pile of debt, how am I really going to get this paid off? Again, so I don't have to live in my parents' basement, how am I going to do this? Um, I kind of have a sad story. Um, it's a little shock and awe, but I'll share it with you just um, to give you really a good idea of what I've seen before, which was um, a young uh, pilot who had actually gone to 
got his bachelor's degree and then his master's degree before he came into the Air Force. And he had over $100,000 in student loan debt. And a large portion of it was private loan. And the reason that that distinction is important between federal and private is that we have a program that is still active in our uh, in the federal government that is the student loan um, repayment program and also a student loan um, forgiveness program. And the, but those programs are only built on federal loans. So let's say he had forty thousand dollars in federal loans. He thought as a you know going into the Air Force serves ten years then he can have the rest of that debt forgiven, which is the case, but it's only the case for that federal portion, not for the private portion. That doesn't fall under any of those rules. And if interest rates were over 6.5%, which, of course, he can use the SCRA protections to lower those on the private side. But it was just the amount of understanding that he had was just not, it was not correct. And so then I had to be the one to tell him that, that, that yes, in fact, you're going to have to pay off every cent of this. And so oh. just obligation, right? And just make sure you're really paying attention to how much you're obligating yourself to. No, I think that's a, a, a great, unfortunately a great cautionary tale for our listeners when they're looking at um, financial ways to help their kids or if their kids are going to be paying for college and looking at student loans. And it just kind of resonates with me. Somebody, a good piece of advice someone had always shared, when you're when you're working with things like this, always get it in writing. That way you have it to back up. You know, there's not misunderstandings um, because, unfortunately, then you do have cases like this. So, Andy, yeah. I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. I think all of our listeners out there, and, and myself included, have learned a lot from your advice um, so thank you so much for coming out today. We really do appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here and to be able to give out some info. So thanks for having me. Well, and I want to thank all our listeners for joining us today. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe. We really do appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics and we'd, that you would love to hear more about. So have a great day. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.